if we look into later life, we're going to lose, women are going to lose hormones, men are too, in middle age when we look at menopause, andropause. But if we've got our bone stock that we've got as young people in 20s, but even up to 30s, that's the bone stock for life. So when it starts to fall off at later years, if it never got to that peak because a young athlete was had a lower level of energy, then it's going to fall off at a lower level. And if they get, they might get bone stress fractures that can sadly can be career impacting or career ending. Mm-hmm. Um, in a young age but even if they don't get those issues then or do and overcome to a degree there's a risk in later life um, of bone health issues but what we learned from relative energy deficiencies isn't just the bone that's impacted it's everything from the immune system to the gut health to psychological impacts as well so there's an awful lot if we're not getting the energy balance that my friend was rebecca robinson and this is the inspiration runners podcast Hey everyone, hope you're all well. My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. We have a very interesting guest this week with Dr. Rebecca Robinson, sports and exercise medical consultant who has represented Great Britain in the marathon distance, gracing the two hour, 36 minute PB, along with a 33 minute, nine second 10K. She is also an absolutely awesome mountain runner, winning team gold with Great Britain in 2015. In this episode, we unpack REDS, relative energy deficiency in sport, the effects it can have on our body, the signs, and the, and the preventative actions you can take to be more aware of the condition to ensure you reach your optimal energy level when needed the most. Before we start, I'd just like to give a shout out to more mountain adventures. Why not join me for a day in the hills on one of our single day bucket list hikes, or even better on one of our two day expeditions where we supply top of the range camping equipment such as North Face and Nordis tents. We have gone over and above to ensure that we get the opportunity to experience the rawness of the mountains as they were intended. If interested, why not join us on Facebook by checking out more mountain adventures offering a wide range of activities from trail running to five-day mountain excursions. Not to delay you any further, it's with great pleasure I give you Rebecca Robinson. Listen, there's one big topic I definitely want to cover today, um, and that's reds. And I was talking to Martin Cox briefly Mm -hmm. about it. He said you'd be a great person to talk to. But before we get to that, um, because it's a great thing to sort of unpack, and bring that awareness to a lot of people yeah. that listen to the podcast as well. Because um, we all sort of struggle with it. I want to know a little bit about yourself first. You know, how you got into running to begin with. Like, um, I'm assuming, looking at your power of 10, you've had this huge consistency of running, like, and cross-country, track, all of those good things. Like, so you, you've started at a young age. Yeah, it was kind of like, there was no... Um plan behind it I think um when I was a teenager I just thought what's the one thing that I can just go find that nobody really expects me to do um not that I was pressured into many things at all but um it was more just that sort of freedom and then you join a club and then um I just happened to have a club mate um Gemma Phillips maiden name at the time who was um an international runner she was doing well cross so every time that Kendall had to get a little band out for cross country we kind of had to do it because as long as she was there we'd probably get like a team medal or something um and then we've had um other friends of mine who joined like sarah tunstall as international runner so i always kind of was like making up the pack in cross country not my forte cross country but i guess just found the roads and found the mountains and yeah just kind of had fun and built it um from there and definitely had a few years where it just seemed quite easy and there was lots of consistency even though i was working full-time as a doctor then like really long hours just seemed to balance and then a few years of injury but um 
it's the highs and the lows of running, I think. So. Yeah, when you say you found the road then, talk to me about that transition between cross-country and road. Like, Can you remember your first road race? I think it was probably like a relatively local 10k on the very bumpy roads of Cumbria. So to most people, it would be like a hill race. Um, I think, you know, it's horses for courses in terms of running, and that's the joy of it. Some people, you know, fare very well on cross-country, some people on the roads. I think for me, just that monotony of tarmac in a straight line suits me quite well. So, And then just that challenge of it as well. So, The cross-country aspect, how much do you think that stood by you then when you went over to the road? I think probably more than I would realise that and mountain running, which is, well, fell running, as we have in the Lake District, which is where I'm from, which is probably another reason for, for running in these hills. Um, but I think those aspects do really give you strength. I guess I'm at a point where I'm old enough to have been in the time before Garmin and certainly a lot of the early races, the first marathon I did, I didn't use um, a Garmin or really know how it was meant to help. And actually sometimes that challenge with cross country because you're not really going by time at all. You're just going by your competition and the um, underlying underfoot conditions, weather conditions all play a part. So I think that general grounding, even for someone like myself who wouldn't say that that was their strength, it certainly gives you that strength and it's also a, a brilliant time of year I think we've all probably missed it a lot the last couple of seasons because it's that one time when you just bring a mix of runners together and you know one of my training partners or friends who we would have a good tussle on the roads I mean I'd quite usually expect to be a good minute behind on the cross on the same the same day so I think like all things running it there's levels and levelers out so, there yeah you talked about a club as well like you're you're in a phenomenal place obviously sort of around the Lake District I was looking at your messenger there and we actually have 41 mutual friends don't know how that happened but <laughs> you've got the likes of Paul Tierney um, Lee Proctor you know guys that sort of gravitate towards that area um, the running clubs around there I suppose play a key part to a lot of people's success I think so and I think they're sometimes undervalued I've always been a member of Kendall there's a wonderful lead coach there who's kind of brought up generations of us really Steve Priestley um, but I think you know I'm, I was born in this area I've worked I'm here at the moment I've worked away a lot because of my job um, but I think there is that draw for certain and it's really been lovely to see running clubs get stronger there's a couple of the younger generation now at Kendall who one's just gone over to university in Boulder but when you talk about like the mutual friends you know for example I could go over to Boulder I can get around a fair bit of the globe on the running connections that um over the years I think a lot of runners would um understand that it's a class network like isn't what about the track then because I have written down here 3,000 meters 934.4 like wow that is like <laughs> criminal sort of times well, that was probably in a in a relatively local club. One thing I've never properly done is track. And the way I run, a lot of people would probably say there's reasons um, why in terms of style, like classical training. And somewhere like Cumbria is interesting because we haven't got a track. Like mm. you know, there's one, well, there's one in Lancaster, there's one in Carlisle, so we have got one. But in that um, main part of the county, there's not really track running. So um, that's my excuse um, in an area that I don't know if I'm too late to give it a go at some point. But um, but you have yeah, you that, have con you continued them all though, haven't you? You've continued the cross country, you've continued the like the short, sharp, fast five k's and ten k's, and you're still dipping in and out of those three thousand meter sort of runs. Um, do you think that's important for yourself, like to have that sort of range of running? Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's important for most runners. But I think what's also really good fun is it doesn't really matter if you've got like you know if it's a club championship and it's track, you've got to turn up when you can really. So that's probably more of the. Um, more of the reason that I'd turn out and run on the track or run on cross-country. So when did you find out, like, when you hit the roads, um, were you 
I'm going to use the word talented. I know you do a lot of hard work. <laughs> those, re- those sort of results don't come out without the hard work. Like, But did you find that right from the off you were doing well? I guess I, I never really particularly think of it as working mm. in that way. I guess at the time when I was running, um, it was quite bizarre because I started working as a junior doctor and um, anyone who's been a junior doctor in the wards knows it's kind of a lot of miles on your feet actually walking, um, but also a lot of hours. Um, I had a coach at the time, Norman Matthews, who was a fell running coach. And it was really that kind of belief as in, oh, I should think you'd be all right running on um, the mountains, go and run for GB. And so I said, oh, I've taken on trust, you'd give it a go. <laughs> same on the half marathon on the roads and ultimately the same in the marathon. Um, I think it's, yeah, there's that lovely part where, yeah, it's hard, you're training hard and that kind of thing. But that almost like naivety that you just kind of go do stuff. I guess um, more recent years, like all runners, there's like injuries, there's times when there's just years and years like this past year when none of us can can race. But um, I guess in lots of times, well, a good few times I was lucky in terms of just doing a race that was a selection race at a certain time and having those opportunities. You know, you always at the time, it's hard. I know it's hard for a lot of runners to appreciate that a race went well when you think it could have gone better. But when you look back at some of those experiences, it's definitely a privilege. Yeah. What what about your coaches then? You've had a few different types of coaches. I'm sure they've brought different styles as well. Only a couple. Um, like how instrumental were they in leading you and guiding you and taking that? Because you you can get bad coaches as well as good coaches, obviously. Yeah, I think it's it's hard. I mean, it's like people. People are complex. And um, again, I think it blends a little bit with my work in terms of because in the sports medicine world, we work a lot with coaches and the coach athlete relationship. It's an amazing thing because it's not like a strict going to work relationship and athletes need a lot more from it. Um, and I think, you know, in the margins, we have to be mindful that there can be times when that goes wrong. Um, we have to be really, really careful. And I guess one of the reasons I feel passionate about that is for me, every experience has been amazing. Yeah, there have been times when I've looked at my own performance and probably been too critical to have enjoyed it the same, but always having that journey. Um, and I guess I'm kind of fortunate that I've had, you know, people around the running scene who sometimes have just been real mentors and sometimes it's when you're really kind of on the down and outside that you just actually need that um as well but I think like just to use an example back in when I was doing the marathon in like 2010 and Norm Matthews who sadly passed away the same year was coaching me um it was much more about that belief um and just that kind of trying to get you to figure it out yourself as well um I think a couple of coaches say you know they should make themselves redundant by coaching I don't think that's always the case but certainly there's a journey to be had in sharing um, those experiences and trying to get athletes to learn those skills. Because they're trying to gift you that knowledge that they've gained, aren't they, really? That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's better to, rather than instructing somebody that here's a plan, this is what I want you to do, it's learning for yourself why you're doing that and the reasons why you're doing that and why, because your your 12-month cycle or whatever that is, it varies so much through the year. It's not like, let's do this and keep on doing this for the next 36 months. You know, it has to change and it's dynamic and diverse depending on you, your lifestyle, your balance and all those good things. Absolutely. I think absolutely. And I think that's something that I kind of relate into my work side of things in in medicine because it's kind of similar. But certainly in coaching, you know, some athletes will want to know lots of those questions at a young age. And if I look back, um, I think one wonderful quote, oh, I've had a few, but from a coach, you know, he says, getting away with murder with all the mistakes I'd make with the biomechanics and not doing the background stuff. I'm certainly learning about some of that stuff still. But I think, you know, some people are much more teachable early. Some people have phenomenal ability to coach themselves, but will have like mentors along the way. And I guess in like the younger athlete, you've got to be mindful of everyone will learn and maybe have the times when they want to take it on or um, have more support at a different time. So it is that total blend, like you say, of what's what they need in terms of education and support at the right time, but making sure that it's that open, honest 
um, relationships. So I've got a lot of time for um, coaches and that coach-athlete relationship too. Yeah, so I suppose self-awareness is a big thing as well. You know, if we do select the wrong coach, um, as you say, it doesn't mean that they're a bad coach just because they're the wrong coach for you. I think that's an important thing. Um, just that relationship. I suppose that word relationship is very, very important when you have a coach. Yeah, I think when I work in some of the sports that I work in, when they've got the more professional side of the sport, those coaches will, in terms of a contract, have a probationary period when both the coach and the athlete are going to work out. Mm. If, even if it's the, a brilliant coach and a really talented athlete, that will fit. And sometimes I think we see that in athletics. It's just that magic comes together for that coach and athlete, for example. Um, and then sometimes it's, yeah, it's the balance is, is different depending on the time of their life or what their, what their goals are, for sure. 2010 then you actually entered the marathon was that your first marathon in 2010 yeah, yeah. so that was for great britain yeah, yeah like how did it go from like i'm looking at your power 10 and it's going like all, all these lovely little races like short and sharp great times obviously there's a pattern starting to evolve from your half marathon um, paces and then boom your first marathon for great britain in the european championships like how did that come about um, this was this was my coach at the time. Um, it was all taken on trust. He'd said, have a, go at the have a go at the mountains, have a go at the um, half marathon. And that was when I did um, Birmingham half marathon, which, did, you know, I would call it not a good day on the roads, but it was a half marathon um, for GB. That was the world champs that year and ran with um, Gemma Phillips, Sam Miles and Ali Dixon. Um, but then the marathon, so Norman said, I think you'd be all right at the marathon. And I was um, working long hours and I was running 40 miles a week mm. and walking quite a few miles a and had one go, to be totally honest, at a long run with a um, with with a Garmin, and the Garmin broke, and I went the wrong way. Halfway up, I fell probably. So yeah, in terms of structure, there wasn't all that. There was a lot of kind of. I guess I was fit at the time. I was running the mountains. I was running sort of just you know ten k's at decent pace, but it was totally taken on trust. Um, I remember just setting out at six minute mile and thinking, oh, this is okay, and getting. I think somebody really really sensible and lovely like Bud Baldero like shouted about seventeen miles. You know keep keep sensible with it because you know this is like the first marathon I'd done but it was just one of those days when everything kind of went right everything fell into place I you kind of look back and think that felt easier at the at the time I guess I was pretty fit but you didn't have any expectation whatsoever mm. um for the race so yeah I think I remember like just getting the specific sort of gel because my coaches said well you have the black current ones just little tiny things that were probably immaterial but you just go along with it but really what I didn't have was a phenomenal structure at that time you know that's something that's that's fun to work towards but um yeah and I was just lucky that um that particular race was a selection and then got to run at the Europeans um after that in the right, a, a great memory like um how yeah. you must have felt very proud then running your first half marathon there for Great Britain when that call up came up um I think yeah it's just the excitement of it really because then having not expected it or anything like that um and huge amounts of nerves obviously but um yeah more it's just the enjoying it and I think the bit that you look back and you think you gotta just enjoy it at the time as well because it's always hard you're always looking for for better I think um you know just looking at different type of race but similar in a way that like Tokyo just now the phenomenal heat we ran in Barcelona in phenomenal heat and um say I was working um as a as a junior doc at the time there wasn't the chance to do the acclimation that was um, offered me learn I learned you know things I still apply to my medicine practice why that's important so how, how did you maintain that balance then because a junior doctor you know you're flat out there's a lot of learning there's a lot of energy being spent and then to train for a marathon that's going to be in Barcelona as you say with the heat and things like that and like how do you conserve the energy how do you 
like was it just a whirlwind of a time for you or did you have a good sense of balance no it was um it was kind of a whirlwind um <laughs> at the time like I was working on quite a busy part of the hospital so um you, you could say oh well I should like to make do you think I could maybe have a little bit of leave this week but then someone else would call in sick or someone else would be you know away so it just didn't um quite happen but you probably are fitter than you think working this as I mean I, I probably would say to most people get the work-life balance maybe being 10 years younger whatever you can but I think with running there is that element of people find time find a way yeah I had a busy job but we have amazing stories now of athletes who have kids and are balancing that with their work and you know it's I think it's the right fit for some runners will find that balance is right for them in terms of having the time off and resting and recovering because that has all got a place I guess I guess the other side to it was when you're doing a job like that I was working and running because of the job I didn't have time for much else um but it 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 helped me get that balance for sure it was the right balance at the time yeah do you think there's a lot more self-awareness out there now that sort of is helping athletes a lot because it's it's been this like if you look back over the last 20 years there's everybody's learning from everybody else you know there's a lot more information there. there's a lot more on social media a lot more books and everybody is so in individual um Mm -hmm. There's a lot of resources out there, I suppose, which is helping people find yeah. their place a bit better. I agree. It's changed phenomenally. You know, like I was back in the days where you'd finish across country and you'd wait for the little printout to come to see who'd come where. And you'd look at the names and you might sort of recognise them, but you didn't really know. Whereas I guess now everyone, if it's not on social media, then afterwards everyone will have their profile and people will kind of know each other or keep those links. And in some ways, that's really a phenomenal thing. I think sometimes it's a little, I look at it and think, is that hard for some people? Because what somebody's maybe saying about their training isn't applicable to another person. Um, But I think some of the awareness is is really good. And for me as a doctor, what I really, really like is that there's a, a generation now, I guess I look back at it with some of my peers my age and we think gosh we didn't ask those questions at that time and I wish that we had and now I feel that there's like more awareness in the younger athletes of their own health and of their own training and I I love that those questions are being asked and I think they've they've always been questions that should have been answered but hopefully and hopefully we can build on that with education as well. The problem though is a very fine line isn't it because there's so much fake information out there and so much like advertising and things like that so the information is important, but it's, it's trying to decipher as well because you can overcomplicate things. It's like your first marathon there, you know, um, not naive, but no pressure going into it. So mm-hmm. it was a simple fight race as into what it, you can overcomplicate things and keeping it simple is a key thing, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I do agree with that. And I think, you know, running ultimately is a relatively like it looks like a simple sport when you take it all apart and look what it takes. Then it's a it, nightmare. It, it's a nightmare from start <laughs> to finish. It's so complicated. It's one of the most expensive sports you can do. Just get a pair of running shoes and away you go. Absolutely. Uh, but I agree. I think, you know, and for different people, I think the technology can really help if you mm. use things like the Garmin technology or whatever other brand is out there and you use it, but it doesn't use you. But I think we've all got to have those runs where we just go out there and it doesn't really matter what your pace is, it's how you feel and enjoying what's around. And I think, you know, if, if people, if there's a point where you, you can't do that at any given time, then it's probably not what I would see as, as the joy around, around running. Mm. So. You don't want, you don't want to lose the reason why you started running to begin with. I think that's, sense, yeah. that's the key thing. Like, I remember doing a, a mountain marathon just in training one time and it was a fantastic race, like, oh, sorry, run. And I thought, wow, that was effortless. And I looked at my watch, it was like a minute and a half, a mile slower. <laughs> I went, what a yeah. rubbish run. Like, <laughs> I just changed that yeah. mindset from having this fantastic run to actually that was rubbish. I was so much slower. 
Yeah, and I think when runners have had like injuries, I've been out of running for the best part of this year due to injury. And like, I'll do all the sensible things I'm trying to, honestly, um, to get back, to get back. But, um, you know, there's no way that at the first start I would wear a Garmin because it feels, I know how it feels. I don't need to reinforce that. And I don't need to, I guess for some people, and it, again, it's really, really individual. I know some athletes and my friends who will use that Garmin and they'll be really like, say, down and out and getting back and seeing those metrics change using them will be really helpful. I know for me, I'm more likely to compare myself and go, oh, for goodness sake, that's terrible. Whereas if I'm just going out there and remembering all the reasons why I started, then for me, that's better. So again, it is, it's a very individualized like Yeah, approach. that's what makes it so interesting. That's why yeah. I've got so many podcasts on running now because it is so different and it's so different for every person and they're so individual. I was reading an, uh, an article just before you come on there about the Sheffield 10K, you, you'd smashed <laughs> the course record just to give people an insight to um how progressive your running was like 10k was a real good forte for you wasn't it i like the 10k i'm never gonna be like i haven't got the fibers to be the fastest 10k runner but um there, there are issues things like that race i live in um sheffield most time for work and um there's quite the hills going out on the ecclesall road the students will know about through sheffield embarrassingly i didn't even realize it was a hill till i did that race and i was like why oh, my splits so so strange because i'm so used to running on on hills but um it's a nice it's a nice relatively local race and the one before that actually without sidetracking it hugely but sheffield's half i remember doing that when i was trying to get a qualifying time for the world half and i didn't live in sheffield at the time but i just scoped out where it would be good to to run it and that used to be a phenomenal race that came back into the old stadium but I remember running that and a very young um inexperienced as she would say herself Gemma Steele came bounding up after saying oh how do I get um that fast and I think we all looked at her and say how did you do that so um but your PB is 3309 is that correct I think your... it is I think it is yeah, that is a phenomenal time like um you see in your marathon like 2010 you parked that then after that that race no i well i i don't know why i did really got injured probably um and then i did a i did do london in 2015 um kind of similar time off completely different training um so i've done three or four marathons but um yeah i think like recent years it's been more injury related um uh, which you know it's kind of the not the price you pay but you know that mm. there's going to be good days the same as like yeah you can have a, a great day on the 10k and then have an inexplicably awful day but uh, just at the moment it's I think running has changed in the way that I guess we'd have all said, oh, you know, you get to like your early 30s or whatever, and that might be your peak. And now we've got people like Sinead Diver who just ran um, the Olympic marathon is 44. So it, it, admittedly, like, I think it's the nature of running. We try and overcome the hurdles. So for me at the moment, mm -hmm. I've got to sort of kind of start again um, due to injury issues, but hopefully there's no reason I can't. But it's that, it's that hope really that you get back and you can, um, chase things further i think we're never any of us particularly satisfied with running otherwise you know we don't have to say well i've reached that like let's call it a call it a day so yeah, um, there's a huge mental shift happening at the minute i think when we see her running that age 44 a friend of mine johnny breen he's gonna love the fact i mentioned him on the podcast now like um he was trying to break 345 we had on the podcast a couple of years ago he's just turned 50 um mm -hmm. and he broke three hours you know and it's there seems to be this huge shift of mental ability or self-belief in what we can actually do now when I, st I i was a late mid 30s sort of midlife crisis runner <laughs> and i thought well i'll get a good couple of years here then that will be it do you know what i mean i'm, I'm nearly 40 years of age but now we're seeing all these athletes 
especially the longer endurance things as well like they're just mind-blowing mm-hmm. and it's, it opens our door to what's actually possible for ourselves I think so. I think it's a really good point. And as much as, you know, I think there were some brilliant things about sports science. I've got all the time in the world for like exercise physiology and you know, learn so much. The only other aspect is, and I think it's Alex Hutchinson that wrote the book Endure, when it comes down to that mindset and you just sort of wonder, I mean, I know that's kind of part of the conversation around the two-hour marathon. Lots of other factors there, lots of other science, mm-hmm. lots of other conversations to be had. But just that perspective that it kind of alters the mindset, like when Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, it's almost like changes <laughs> things. And I think with age, you know, a few years ago, quite rightly, we were saying that Joe Pavey was amazing coming back at 40 with children. I mean, she still is amazing. There are other amazing people now that have risen to that to that bar. Um, and I think it, it is it is nice that kind of running can widen up. We've got Kelly Hodgkinson at 19 winning a medal and we've got, say, people like Sinead Diver, Chris Thompson in their 40s and actually, you know, older athletes in that in that area. And it's a lovely place to be because it means that whole community just widens out. And again, I guess not forgetting for me, you know, my clubmates are like 8 to 80 plus and um, wouldn't have it differently as well. But it does also mean that in terms of the sports medicine side, um, there's there's a real need to keep things going and help people at all stages to get back to what they want because I think we quite rightly as runners we're probably quite demanding <laughs> athletes we want to keep it we want to keep it going so I think sometimes helping that community and helping those individuals to keep on running at fast paces that's that's also fun yeah I was going to keep that to a bit later but now we're talking sure. about the sports medicine because that's what your profession is in is obviously sports yeah. medicine so talk to me about that because it's somebody. Like I, I've come from the corporate world. I was a manager in the corporate world for 21 years, very fast-paced sort of industry, the aerospace industry. In the last for three or four years, I was suffering with like tension headaches and all, you know, 25 meetings a day, all these stresses, boom, boom, boom. Your body's releasing stress cortisone. And I go for a run in the local mountains and it just comes right down. And you feel great again and away you go again. So it's, you know, you don't need to be a scientist to understand the benefits. There's definitely physiological benefits happening there. Um, But this is your profession. Um, So talk to me a little bit about, um, a bit more detail, I suppose, what it is and what you actually do. It could be a whole different focus. I'll try and summarize it. Um, So sports and exercise medicine it's both parts of that discipline. And I guess my motivation initially and still is when I was like a hospital doctor, seeing people really unwell with long term conditions. So we're talking about things like cancer, um, heart disease, different conditions where people have the illness, but it can really impact their fitness. And then if it impacts their fitness, their ability to get better and be say fit enough for another treatment or a surgery mm-hmm. is impacted significantly. So my big motivation was this exercise medicine side that's the part I'm still investing quite a lot of time trying to get that off the ground, trying to get that to become an entity because it's as much as the NHS does, it's amazing work. Hopefully, if we can get people supported to be better before they have the treatment even, but also during and after, then that's where we can make the big gains in public health. So that's one side of it. The kind of traditional side of sports medicine is a musculoskeletal. So, you know, my typical runner, say with an ankle injury or a bone stress fracture would come in. But I guess um, working in elite sport is also part of what we do. And what I like about that is we have a team and we can tackle athletes, injury and illness and mental health issues from part of a a multidisciplinary team. So there's like the doc, but there's also the physiotherapist, the nutritionist, the psychologist. um, And in quite a few sports, there's lifestyle advisors that um, are physiologists in there as well. So that's a fun team to work with. Obviously, we just had the Olympics um, and you can see how the athletes are the ones who go win the medals. 
but supporting in that team and getting the steps in place if, when things go slightly awry is really a big part of that process. And, and I guess finally on that, um, one of the things I guess I do focus on, and I am interested in, it's grown hugely since I've qualified, is that female athlete health side um, in terms of the hormonal balance, menstrual cycle, which, again, going back to my generation coming through as like teenage runners, we didn't really talk about, we didn't really know about. And now that question going on through the life cycles is important. And also for all athletes, that kind of energy balance. And like you said, when people are balancing work and training and lifestyle, how it all fits in. So it's it's quite a big area in, in its way. It's yeah. not something you get bored with. You really just did scratch, gently, gently scratch the surface of that, isn't it? Because you could unpack every single sentence that you yeah. talked about. We had Kerry O'Flaherty on the podcast. Oh, amazing. Um, and she had talked about the menstrual cycle as well. And it's something that we mm -hmm. didn't um, talk which isn't really out there very much, you know, and more and more athletes are starting to talk talk about that. And But that's huge, isn't it, for female runners and how that impacts yeah. you? I mean, all female athletes, the kind of fun thing is that actually we women, we probably have an advantage over you guys ultimately and be able, in being able to know, because men do have a hormonal cycle, but obviously we have that indicator in terms of um, the cycle through the month and where those hormones are at, you can actually work really well with them to optimize strength training speed training you can perform well at all stages females can but it's it's actually harnessing that and for me it's that education at a young age um then women can like own their cycle understand it of course we're always going to get issues in terms of some people they will have problematic menstrual cycles that really impact what they want to be doing but in this day and age if we've got the underlying education and we can put the medical impact of support in but sometimes also like good physiology good trackers for that we can help people um to overcome those issues which is it's still emerging it needs to it needs mm. to be available really for all women and certainly everybody at elite um end of sports needs at least to be aware and that, that's what i was going to say i was going to suggest that you know it's like there are certain people that are experts in that field and if you land on one of those people's doorsteps then you're on a winner as such you know but it's not that well known through the professional sort of like physios or doctors you know they're trained in a certain way or whenever they were trained but this is sort of new um yeah. and we're, we're coming past that age about talking about things and being embarrassed about things you know yeah. which is great all those all those walls are starting to fall down which is helping people and helping science and things like that making it easier to talk about things here i am a male yeah. um, podcaster talking about the female yeah. menstrual cycle which is very yeah. very important to the, even the people that are listening to yeah. this and, and yeah I, I entirely agree and it's been really fun working with different sports I mean one sport I've worked with quite a long time is GB boxing it's just worth mentioning because it used to be a male sport we only had women from like 2012 competing and in that way it's been important as it is in all sports to educate the athletes and the coaches and I think even we're looking at athletics for example I remember going a long time ago to a brilliant talk it was one about female health it was a training camp actually and the older members of us there were like gosh we wish that we'd had that at a younger age but actually they still made the talk women only and we came out and all the boys said oh what was that about was it about like pregnancy or something and just thought well you know there was no reason the guys shouldn't be in on that because also they're going to be like the future coaches potentially we'll hopefully get loads more women coaches coming through and that's amazing to see but you know if we've got a male coach we need to be able to address those issues talk about it in terms of planning training and I think sometimes it's again come back to education but it's having that confidence on both sides because if you know if an athlete wants to talk about an issue whatever mm -hmm. aspect of training and the coach does there's got to be a little bit of common ground there so 
Yeah, there are there are certain things uh, and tools out there to help now, aren't there? I remember Kerry was talking about the app. I think it was Fit Our Women, is it? Fit Our Women. Yeah, yeah, that's one. I, I, I mean, there are several. I think I tend to talk about Fit Our Women because we use it in sport. Um, if you haven't talked to her already, um, Georgie Broomvales is one of the ladies who's worked. Because she's an exercise physiologist, worked very hard on developing that. <laughs> I find it really helpful because it's quite intuitive. It gives you, as the athlete, like... The right points in the month they have actually you know what to do with your nutrition at a certain phase how something might be impacting training and understanding it um but they also have like a version for a coach as well so it's, it's made quite big strides and what i like as well as a medic i guess there's that science bit underlying it it kind of latches back into the actual physiology of it so sports in science this like we have quite a few this is inspiration runners podcast so we don't just have fast and phenomenal type level olympic level sort of athletes on it we have some really inspiring ones and when i read about your profession it's sort of i've sort of reflected back on some of the guests that we've had um we had one guy there who was um diagnosed with prostate cancer he was given like 10 months left to live and he told his doctor he's going to run a marathon so during the chemo he, he actually was training through it and the doctor said to him you know well if you can train for it first he thought he was mad um, but then he said well if you can train for it, you can do it and he actually done two marathons in like a couple of weeks. I think it was Brighton and London and come back with the medals. And then he said, I'm going to do the marathon to Sables. Um, he only had 10 months left to live. So that was outside of what he had left. <laughs> he's done it like five or six years in a row, the marathon to Sables. And he's still going strong. He's just released a book, you know, and he was given that damning deadline, if you like, you know, 10 months left to live. And I've had half a dozen people that are on the podcast. Um, one amazing woman, Rosie Ryan, who had pancreatic cancer. And she was given like six months left to live or something like that. And I interviewed her on 150th Park Room. And she is the happiest person you will ever meet. Um, she went on and done the World Major Marathons. Now, with Covenal, um, I haven't seen her. I podcasted about two years ago. And she's still going strong, like. And she's only given yeah. like six months left to live. There has there has to be something linked with that positive outset and whatever, you know, your brain is releasing to help repair and correct the body. Because these people are highly positive and you can go both ways when you get that message, you know. Obviously, you go, everybody goes down with it and then it depends on whether you want to sit in the corner in the dark or I have to be careful saying that, obviously, because I'm not in that situation. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, there is something about it. There has to be like one of the people I've had on the podcast, you've seen them move forward. There has to be some sort of link there. Yeah, I think, I mean, you've hit on something I'm really interested in. Exercise and cancer like, is one of the areas that I'm really interested in working in. And it's a fascinating area because I think what is the cool thing about whether it's running or any active movement, really, when somebody, and even if they're really quite further on in their illness, it's like it's what, movement is one of the few things we can actually give people that's fun to do in terms of cancer treatment because there's also horrible treatments and horrible experiences. Mm -hmm. I think when I talk to patients with cancer, it's actually just being able to do something. And sometimes it's like seated exercise, but there are, there are fantastic um, resources like, I don't know if you've heard of 5K Your Way, but it's, um, it's um, here's two really, and this is one way, like I say, always meet your heroes because these two ladies who invented it, Lucy Gossard, who um, is a doctor, took time out of medicine to become um, a pretty famous Iron Woman, Iron Man champion, and Gemma Hillier-Moses, who um, I remember her running the Great North Run, I ran it that year, but she was on chemotherapy at the time. 
um and everybody had said don't do it and I remember looking and thinking oh gosh is this a good thing to do she said it was the best thing to do and if you ever get a chance to chat to her please do it um but very inspirational lady happily um quite a good few years away from her treatment now but they basically founded this um charity called move which is for young people but um 5k your way was for people who'd experienced cancer and also the people that are like family or supporters or even healthcare professionals and they tag it on to the last park run of every month and the amazing news is that it's just back um and it's just to get people to come along and either they want to just run park, park run or just do it kind of on their own but also having that small community of people that are at different stages with their treatment and that for me is is a wonderful movement that's mm. just kind of sprung up but i think for me you know sometimes with cancer it will change people's way that they can exercise and for some people even if like running has been their thing it will maybe change it right then they may have obvious goals and be able to hit them like the people that you mentioned which is really really cool they may have to reset a little bit and it or it may be that finding a different type of activity but I certainly have some incredibly inspirational patients who you sort of think you know I've got one lady who just got back to running with quite significant underlying disease and you sort of think when you at the outset you really want to help and you're sort of still thinking how but actually sometimes I think it's it's the same with elite athletes as it is with patients sometimes you just got to watch the person and kind of mm. come to them people do extraordinary things um sometimes we just got to help them um a little bit on the way and there's a whole side of like I was a quality manager in my role so there's a whole side of preventative through sports yeah. so when I talked about you know I I honestly come to a place where I started thinking my job's actually a bit toxic for me you know, the tension was just my body talking to me. So I had a self-awareness that, listen, there's something, my body is screaming at me here. I need to correct that and work out what the right environment is for my body mm -hmm. to prevent that from happening. Um, and by doing that, you know, if my body is, is overloading with stress cortisone, you know, that's not good. That's toxic for your body. It's okay in short, sharp snaps if a tiger jumps out of the forest and I need to run away. Like, But to have that constantly for 20 hours a day, seven days a week. So it's, there is an aspect of how it can help um, after the fact, but there is a huge preventative aspect to it. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, sometimes with elite athletes, when we kind of get to an issue, sometimes they'll be so tuned into their body that it'll be the subtle signs of a change that help us to identify that something maybe underlying isn't right. Um, talking about any conditions, if if we need to diagnose, they often have that heightened awareness of how their body feels. Um, and I think that's where being physically active really does help. And some people, you know, even when they've got um, a significant illness, if they're used to training and keeping themselves healthy it will sometimes help but on the other side people sometimes have got a busy lifestyle and actually the sport is just about balancing it sometimes if they lose that through injury that can really make it kind of hard to cope because suddenly that one thing that was a coping mechanism has kind of gone so it's it's a learning process I think but um yeah just having people more fit and physically active mm. um in general, you know, whether or not how much, we know it prevents quite a lot of conditions, you know, metabolic conditions, heart disease, diabetes, that's really well evidenced for many, many years. But I think trying to sustain that through the lifetime is something that we really need to keep getting the message um, out there because some people will, and that's amazing. But then we have a group of the population who kind of just don't have that in their world yet. And I think everyone can enjoy whatever their form of exercise. They might not be running. But. And that's it. Even, even with COVID, there's a good example of that. You know, we're all told to lock ourselves indoors, but there was no real guidance on getting more sleep, eating more nutritional foods, getting your body ready and prepared and getting it stronger. So when you do have COVID, then your body's more prepared to fight for it. That's just general with disease. Like, But COVID was a really good example of that. 
Yeah, I think, and it's it's really tricky. I mean, COVID has been like a phenomenal learning experience nobody wanted. And in terms of my job, it's just made it, it's made like with the elite athletes, we've had a whole parallel world of just COVID tests and, you know, daily, daily, you know, feedback is somebody not well, that kind of thing. And then in outside of elite sport, I've been doing quite a lot of work with long COVID. And it is, and it's hard. And sometimes people do all those good things, but still get something like long COVID. But even though we're learning in that sphere, particularly, we cannot take away from those basic principles. And this is a bit like for me with my work and balance at the moment, I'm kind of like, I know I'm saying all the right things, but um, one has to apply it to themselves. But you know, the, the even just the power of sleep to reduce like those stress hormones, to repair muscle, to help like, general stress. It's, there's not a drug that we can replace that with at the moment so sometimes it seems when you're talking to patients or talking to athletes that you're going right back to basics um and they know these things really but it's applying them um as that foundation i think you know i remember like with elite sports sometimes we take i don't know if we did it for tokyo probably but just mattress toppers you know you can have all the aids what's gonna improve and boost performance is actually a comfortable night's sleep so but energy is a huge thing you know in the world that we live in at the minute, there's so many distractions. And like sleep, sleep obviously is a, a time when you don't have the distractions, your body goes into repair and recovery. That's why it's even more important maybe now in this world of distraction. I've talked about energy now, so I'm gonna have to move into reds, um, uh-huh. which is a really important topic, the relative energy deficiency in sports. Um, and we've all felt it whether we're aware of it or not. You know, I remember I used to go for my long run and runners are horrendous for this. They have to be because we are so locked up on our weight. You know, we have to be this weight, um, whether or not we're relating that to our performance or not. We just think if we're lighter, we're going to run faster. There's a real misconception there. Um, but I remember when I was like, I'm a, a club runner, you know, 3.30 marathon. I'm not an elite runner in any way or form. But sometimes before my long run on a, on a Saturday morning, on a Friday night, I would have went mad and just ate loads of rubbish, no discipline whatsoever, and gone out the next day and had a phenomenal run. You know, and you're about three pounds heavier from everything you ate the night before. So we all, doesn't matter what level you are, you, everybody goes through this cycle of energy deficiency. So talk to me a bit, a bit more in depth, I suppose, as well, um, about REDS, because this is, I yeah. think, very important for people who are listening in. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's um, one again I could talk about. Well, when I was at medical school, we learned about female athlete triads. It wasn't even about men. It's all women. Um, and it was basically women with sordid eating and going to have like low, um, lose their periods. And basically because you strip away estrogen, you can have poor bone health. And on a very reductive um, note, you could still apply that, but it's not all that at all. It's much, much more. And this relative energy deficiency, I think it was about 2014 that the consensus statement came out explaining this. But it's basically running or any sport, you're going to have that output of energy. Um, and I think it's worth, like, I'll come back to it and say it's not just all about calorific energy. I think that whole mm. mental energy and stress side has another level to red so we don't quite put in there quite yet but basically not having that energy availability things start to shut down we're quite a basic creature in that terms and it's easy to relate it to the female athlete because basically the body goes i haven't got enough energy right now to reproduce and from a brain level it starts to shut down those hormones conserving energy so we don't get sometimes one of the first signs is you don't get a monthly cycle in guys it will downgrade testosterone in basic terms so actually there will be an impact and there have been well publicized um athletes who have had to kind of retire because they have actually got to that point of under recovery and low hormone levels 
But, you know, I think it's um, sometimes male colleagues or maybe say, just not to totally generalise, oh, it doesn't really matter if you didn't get cycle. I think actually women don't always pick up on it straight away either. Um, but there is a direct link in females between that estrogen level and healthy bone. So if people aren't getting their cycles, we've got to, you know, correlate that. And sometimes the, the, the tricky ones are in the typical presentation, I'll see an athlete with a stress fracture. And this seems like an injury fine we diagnose it we treat it like all the others but if we've got that worry around you know actually why a bone stress where are those hormone levels what is your menstrual cycle doing is a question i just always always ask we've got to look for other causes but if we find that all their other metabolic bone health are fine we've not had any other major reasons for a bone stress because it can be biomechanical it can be if you just hit the track and started running a lot more miles a week but if we look at it and actually the underlying reason is that we're not getting that nutrition balance in and especially if the menstrual cycle's gone we've got to take it seriously um, I think a lot of people will have read and it's been really well publicized recently in some really brave athletes speaking out mm. because it can at a very young age cause thin bones. So at sort of the very serious, but like less um, severe end, we call it osteopenia, thin, thinner bones than we expect. And at the severe end, osteoporosis. Um, and that's serious because if we look into later life, we're going to lose, women are going to lose hormones, men are too, in middle age when we look at menopause, andropause. But if we've got our bone stock that we've got as young people in 20s, but even up to 30s, that's the bone stock for life. So when it starts to fall off at later years, if it never got to that peak because a young athlete was had a lower level of energy then it's going to fall off at a lower level and if they get they might get bone stress fractures that can sadly can be career impacting or career mm. ending um in a young age but even if they don't get those issues then or do and overcome them to a degree there's a risk in later life um of bone health issues but what we learned from relative energy deficiencies isn't just the bone that's impacted it's everything from the immune system to the gut health to psychological impacts as well so there's an awful lot if we're not getting the energy balance i think as well picking up on what you mentioned about like that perception in terms of runners i mean i remember like being a busy junior doctor and thinking well i'm light enough i'll get up the hills and as i kind of did a tiny bit never the weights i should have done but kind of like the heavier i got the faster it got I was like, oh, that's... so it's that it's a misperception i think everyone's basically got their strong point and for women usually the tipping point is menstrual cycle as in if a woman's getting a menstrual cycle at that particular weight even if they don't look like someone else on the start line they will be getting the adaptations from training so under that level they might be lighter and faster for a time but they won't actually like women that say just kind of like cheating themselves because they won't get the adaptations and having said that sometimes it's quite hard so typically, typically a young athlete who goes through like those stages and puberty gets a regular menstrual cycle. Typically, that will then stay. Some younger athletes will have uh, like puberty a bit later just because the body doesn't accumulate that little bit more body fat that takes it to tip over. And for some, it'll just be harder to establish that cycle. So I think that's the other thing for me in terms of relative energy deficiency. There's like no blame. It's often it's often something that people didn't we want to do like in terms of they didn't mean that to happen and it's then it's about education but I think the only other thing before I stop talking about it all day but the other thing to really really not um, miss is disordered eating because relative energy deficiency kind of by definition is like when it's inadvertent or you've got like a triathlete or a runner doing high amounts of miles and just not getting that balance. But what we can sometimes find is with all the good practice around the um, nutrition and education, if there's an eating disorder there, if there's a relationship with food that's not quite right, that's going to be the barrier. And that definitely is something where getting sports psychology, clinical psychology, psychiatry involved early because, you know, I have some brilliant athletes who've actually tackled that. And even in recent times, it's been 
great because like, yeah, they were running well. We know that the bone health risk is low, but at the end of the day, they couldn't just chill out and enjoy food. And I think life is too long and too rich to, mm. to persist with that. And I think that as well just needs to be um, addressed as well. So. But eating disorders, like you can, um, like an eating disorder doesn't mean like you're being sick in a bag, you know, every, every time you eat. Um, I have an eating disorder to mm-hmm. a, a, a level. It's not a, mm-hmm. a damaging level, um, mm-hmm. but you know, you're constantly thinking about what you're eating or this or that. Um, what I meant by that was people, especially runners, generally do have some level of eating disorder. I would say there's there's like there's ways that we eat before like sport. Like there's certain things I would not contemplate eating the day before a race. I would avoid them like anything, and that's just because I know how mm. my body will react to that. Um, and like any other time that would be what I'd eat I think yeah I think there is that aspect but I think I would challenge anybody that has that aspect of thinking oh I can't eat this before to actually address it and this day and age I mean like there's been quite a lot of good publicity around tricky subjects around like the Olympics and mental health I think bring that back in terms of an elite sport even if someone says you know what I'm not I'm just not relaxed when I eat I worry that I shouldn't have eaten this for this performance even if it feels like oh you know it doesn't really matter but even at that level I'd say ironing that out because it's something that can really create even if it doesn't create other illness it's like do we settle for that these days and I would say that even though I'm not um, a psychologist or psychiatrist and know the good work that they can do and know how it can just change and take that even if it's a little bit of pressure away and I would yeah I would be an advocate of um, it's all education isn't it really all yeah it. it's but I think it's education but it's maybe speaking up and things mm. that people would just put up with before and be okay and be kind of all right with it um, I think this day and age it's like it's kind of it's more challenging it's more um, sometimes for the actual individual it's more hard work um because it's it's you know it's mindset and it's not a fault but it's sometimes like something that is just a barrier and i think we've got the tools now we've got the resources and we've got also the dialogue and communication to help people yeah not settle just kind of get the best out of themselves and that might i think the best out of themselves is being happy and comfortable as who they are you know performances will come after that but i think anything under that you know i'd we, we had um, we had Sarah McCormack on the podcast as well, and she had said to me, "You know, we're gonna. I needed to take this running a bit more seriously." <laughs> Who's a fantastic, obviously, mountain runner, um, and she said she started focusing on her weight and brought her weight right down. And she said she never got as many colds and yeah. the whole winter. And she and she just she had to stop that disciplined diet and go back to eating her cake and things like that because that's what yeah. was right for her, and um, because it totally broke her immune system. Yeah, and, and I think that. that's yeah, that's that's in the in like the relative energy deficiency. That's a big part of it that we understand. It's like the same as the the way that we know the hormones will shut down to a certain level. To really oversimplify it, you know, if we've got those heightened stress hormone levels, the immune system again it needs kind of it needs fuel, it needs nutrition to recover. So it's just kind of it's that short term gain, and it's just it's again it comes down to like a healthy human. There's a level, I guess. You know, Sarah's an amazing um, mountain runner, and there is in that aspect, you know, there is gravity and there's lightness, relatively, but there is a balance. And I think again, health is yeah. is hugely red. Red is huge, though, isn't it? Like it's about body balance. You know, energy intake yeah. about energy and sport being expended, um, especially when you start to move into the world of ultra running. You know, you're going out and doing mm-hmm. 100 miles, and you know whatever 24 hours to 36 hours whatever that is you're spending a lot of energy 
and your body i had um so i'm a sort of a slow but longer distance runner <laughs> so i like around 100k sort of distance um, but i was having real issues with my gut health um mm -hmm. and it took me six months to realize no hold on a second my stomach's not right um and started eating maybe cleaner foods but taking things as well to help build my gut and um, but when i started looking into reds um things start linking together into your head well hold on a minute here do you know what i mean i was restricting myself an awful lot back then you're trying to be light um is that all linked into that and potentially it could be yeah potentially it could be i think as well like we know you know in terms of ultra we get you know the gut itself in terms of the oxygen supplied to it the nutrients sometimes that's a tricky area for athletes to balance and again it's one where in elite sport we've got that dietitian and nutritionist help and if we need to we'll get gastroenterology involved to make sure there's no obvious problem but sometimes it's planning what the nutrition is again like a ultra runner will often relatively burn a higher proportion of fat depending you know so sometimes we can use certain elements of training and nutrition that you might not use for somebody who's planning to run purely on the stores they got in their muscles and not have to using the carbohydrates and not have to make that transition until like the later stages of a, a marathon but i think it's it's definitely worth bearing in mind and for example if someone has a, a gastro issue reds will certainly not help it it may or may not be like the root cause but um it won't help it but i think yeah that overall gut health and i think if someone's like the relationship with food is that there's um some elements of restriction and shopping and changing too much that also like can be difficult for the metabolism and the gut to um, adapt to yeah how much awareness is there about reds out there I so think, i think there's a lot more now and i think the um like the media the press has helped that and the athletes who've spoken about it um, i think what i would quite like is to be able to just bring that education a little bit more to like junior athletes talent athletes developing and i mean mm. it's not the only topic right there in terms of you know there's energy deficiency sometimes i'll get a female athlete for example who doesn't get a mental cycle and um, it won't be red it'll actually yeah. be something potentially it'll be stress related potentially it'll be another condition so i think in terms of education it's really important sometimes to get that well every time to get that diagnosis right and make sure it's not something else um and there are lots of other issues in terms of athlete health that may have at some point been barriers but now are recognized that we can do something about it so it might be such as looking at you know towards menopause in an older athlete it might be looking at something like a thyroid issue we need to make sure that we're not missing those things mm. and this like if you think of a car you know you're burning the energy in the car you know you got your revs up really high and you're burning more energy than you're than you're putting in and good quality food yeah. as well good quality yeah. fuel um on the basic terms but it's more awareness is a key thing isn't it that yeah. you know uh like we all feel it in this stressful mm. world that we live in you know whether you're a runner or not you can even feel it you know you're not taking care of yourself properly and your, your balance because mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about really is, is your balance like but um you talked about the various health effects there can it be diagnosed i know there's a lot of variables yeah. like so i had a gut issue um, is that because I was eating too much sugary foods? Am I overstressed? Is it all of the above? Um, you know, yeah, is, I mean, is there a way of identifying, well, actually, you're struggling from reds here? Yeah, definitely. And I think a big part of my job is often that initial consultation. Um, we unpack a lot of things. So, again, someone could have a, a bone stress injury and we have to look at the past medical history. We have to look at other factors because, as I say, it can be something else that's causing it. But, like, often that 
whole history, understanding about nutrition, understanding about other life stressors and where things are at. And I guess I'm always visualizing in red. So there's a, um, the initial paper that was out, there's like a spider diagram um, with diagnosis and all the different things around it. So we need to talk about all of those. Um, and blood tests can be helpful as well because there's not like a specific test that will like diagnose reds, but we want to know what someone's blood count is like. We want to know what their other um, elements of their tests are like, like their endocrine system. If we've got a female athlete, we want to know where their hormones are at. And sometimes we'll need some other tests to go down one line of investigation. If someone's, for example, had a couple of bone stress fractures, we definitely want to get a DEXA, which is a bone scan that looks at the actual bone health. Um, but we can make that diagnosis and say, you know, if it's a in a medical context, it's something that's kind of like, you know, an, an hour's consultation and some tests. And But then it's a lot of work. Um, but, you know, I've got an athlete at the moment who's done a phenomenal job herself, really, of looking into, say, nutrition and actually wanted to get some psychology input. And I'm working with her on repairing that bone stress, um, which we had to get a bit of outside opinion to make sure that it being a bone stress, we didn't need to get an operation for it. But it's those things that then start coming together with the rehab. But it's a learning point. And I think what's really important for me is, especially in something like REDS, Someone might come with one issue and it might be a gastro issue. It might be um, an injury issue. But then we kind of exclude all of these problems. And it's really important not to think, oh, my gosh, my world is just falling apart because obviously they might have just lost their running side or whatever the sport is as well. But we have to find all those elements. But then we have to support and we have to then bring someone back stronger. So it's a process. How can, how can you prevent it? Is there preventive measures that you can put in place? Triggers? Yeah, I think I think it comes back to education and a young athlete, like for me, like I've, I can just sort of visualize, I've got some young athletes at the moment who are just brilliant and they'll sort of like, and I want, that's one of the reasons I want to try and be able to help advise athletes and coaches a little bit more. Um, and there are some brilliant people who have also started doing this. Um, some athletes who, who do um, talk about reds. Um, I think it's, it's, it's bringing it so that people can understand what they should expect of their body. So for female athletes, it's kind of not easy, but if their menstrual cycle is regular, they've got, adequate energy and are recovering well that's something that they've then learned to do at an early age and if things change and things start not being like say a menstrual cycle is not regular or someone's not recovering quite right they can then ask those questions yeah because you can look you can do all the work within your control um but getting this right and having optimal energy available that's what it's all about isn't it especially for those yeah. elite athletes who are performing at a very high level on a world stage, you know, it's critical. It's it's nice for everybody, but critical for them to hit that op optimal right on that that moment of time when they need it. Um, being able to be aware of that and tapping into that, whether you're a club runner or not, is a very rewarding thing that you're feeling yeah. great. Like we've always said, you know, some days, you know, you're just, you go out there and there's no, you, you have the best run ever and you actually can't, you couldn't put your finger on it. Well, actually, maybe you could. You know, if you yeah. if you kept a diary in the log, which is a brilliant yeah. way of identifying the energy slums and highs and lows and things like that. Um, there are patterns there in your lifestyle. Yeah. Um, that's Definitely. that's maybe a key way of doing it is is keeping a log. I think so. I think so. And again, I guess that's where you know it's not really a throwaway comment about women in the menstrual cycle because something like for example that Bitter app, you can track over a month and you'll actually be able to understand that in week three 
which fuel you're burning more as a woman, which because we can tap it into that cycle. Seems, Again, it seems it's a not... bit unfair. We need something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so we've got the advantage now. And again, of course, some women will need to be on like a contraceptive pill or different athletes or might have actually, you know, gone through menopause, different things that might not work. But that's just one example where we can use that cycle. But I think keeping a diary for those reasons, it doesn't have to be complex. Like even medically, sometimes like the kind of diary I'll ask a patient to record if they're recovering from like a fatigue syndrome is like what's your mood when you wake up what's your motivation to train how's your muscle soreness that general feel you know what's your heart rate um like rest but yeah how hard do things feel and building that pattern because it might not be you know the actual training load you had yesterday if you're racing the weekend it might be the conference that you had to travel three hours for on um monday or in this day and age right now it might be you know if you've been on zooms interminably and how is your sleep? That's the other the other question in there. So I think starting to build that pattern. And then, of course, if we've got that, you've actually got it for later on. If you look back and you think, well, how did this arise for that? And it takes the, you know, there's always that element of chance. There's always those good days that are just golden and you don't know where they came from. And also people do have bad days, even when they prepare the best, as I think some people just, again, in Tokyo, that will have had those amazing days, highs and lows that we always have. But I think we can use we can use technology for sure. And of course we can use trackers to tell us lots of these things, but I think as so long as we're actually being aware and mindful of them, yeah, we can harness those in. It also helped in the later years as well. You know, when we turn into vets, <laughs> I'm 46 Absolutely. years of age, having yeah. that sort of trended out already um, means it's easier to make adjust adjustments to what you already know. Cause you will need to make adjustments as your body changes. Um, Entirely. Yeah. But if you don't, have any awareness of that again you're just bouncing off the walls a little bit with your knowledge yeah. i think that's where we're coming back to those like more veteran runners that are doing phenomenally what's really cool about that is it is changing that perception and i think sometimes people just maybe assumed or maybe we like face life differently and people tended to have their time when they were running fast um at a younger age and they're not asking those questions but now People will see that example being set later and say, well, why can't I do that? And sometimes it's not unreachable, but there needs to be some adaptations made. I know that even like some of the, the runners moving into their 30s on a world stage or like later years into the 40s um, will just change. You know, we, we can still get the same gains in terms of cardiovascular or muscle strength, but sometimes we need more recovery. All the time we need more recovery. So having a change in those high end sessions um, and maybe that's why some older runners do so well. Suddenly, maybe they maybe that balance for them was actually right at, at that mm. time peaking towards um, performance. It's, it's, a, it's a funny thing to talk about because I, I had left my um, role in the corporate world at the beginning of the year and I'm a mountain guide. Um, so I'm doing, which is fantastic, changing jobs. Like, yeah. um, So I do about 50 or 60 miles a week in the mountains um, before my running. You know, I'm a hiking guide, carrying packs and things like that, which is which is great. Um, but I'm about 12 pounds heavier than I was <laughs> when I was a runner. <laughs> and I tried to, early on in the year, I tried to drop that weight back down, which can be quite easy. But my body wouldn't allow me to do that because I was yeah. doing so much more than I was in the corporate world. You know, I'm walking over mountains now. Um, mm -hmm. And I needed that extra 12 pounds or my body was going to yeah. break down. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. I'm kind of envious of that lifestyle because a lot of my job is quite sedentary. Um, and it, it does, I think that's the balance that we all want. And it's, it's almost having that confidence just to let your body be at where it's at to be healthy. If you're getting so much really good physical activity in there, and we know that counts as well. Um, 
you know, obviously we've got people that will run to their watches 100 miles a week or whatever. But I think that balance to actually get the running training in, but and then having an active lifestyle mm. is is probably optimal, really. Yeah, for me, I'm trying to find where that is now. You know, it was mm-hmm. all this running and this world now it's changed. So you're yeah. now trying to locate actually where do I fit within this? How much running do I have to do on top of the 50 or 60 miles um, yeah. sort of climbing and hiking, which is building strength in your legs. Um, I went for a run yesterday and I could hardly breathe because I wasn't mm. doing enough. Well, I've only just sort of started back and running, running with that as well. COVID's been a real sort of knock people off the shelf um, sort of aspect, especially with somebody who has done so much variance in running like like yourself, you know, cross country. You're keeping your fingers in everything, yeah. really. How have you coped yeah. with that? Um, I managed to get probably the most significant injury I've had three weeks into the first lockdown. So I managed to tear my hamstring off of where the hamstring is meant oh, to be attached no at. way. Um, which is a fascinating one because um, it's an injury that's not, it doesn't actually show up on a scan. It's a kind of subtle move. So I had to have it up on that in March of this year. So, um, yeah, there was like a parallel between all the lockdowns and actually not being able to do the thing that um, I enjoyed doing. So I think in that way, it was it was kind of a bit different. But having said that, I think what I recognised amongst myself and all of my like peers, we missed that rhythm. You know, Saturday in the winter was cross country. You know, you go down in training and it's just that pattern of what we expect. And I think for me, that's what I miss rather than a lot of the freedoms. It's having that knowledge that you have this race because it's this season, you know, it's um, last September. Well, it's great enough runtime, isn't it? You know, and I think having, you know, you know, the times before COVID when a race would get cancelled because there was snow or something like that, um, yeah, just having that loss of of what mm-hmm. we do. I mean, because of course, runners, apart from like track runners, you know, we could still go out and run, unlike some other sports like swimmers who, for long periods of time, couldn't actually do their sport. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I won't say it was. I probably wouldn't recommend getting an injury from the one thing you really enjoy during a global pandemic. Um, as, as a general rule. Yeah, I I had the same. I actually had surgery in both my feet, so I was like, mm-hmm. oh well. <laughs> You know, now's yeah. the time to get it done, like, and get it fixed. And I'm, that's one of the reasons why I'm just starting back running again. Rebecca, it's been fantastic. I really do appreciate your time. Um, I think we could have unpacked every aspect of that. We briefly sort of went uh-huh. across the top of everything there, and we covered quite a lot. Um, but we could have unpacked your running. Like, in a, <laughs> we, had, we could add about five different podcasts there. Yeah, come back and do another one. That's Definitely. Good. <laughs> Rebecca, I appreciate your time. I'm going to release this on Friday. Um, that was fantastic. I think it's really important to bring the awareness of Reds because a lot of people think that these um, highs and lows are actually out of their control, that it's just life. Where actually, no, it's just a bit more awareness and a bit more understanding of, of your own personal yes. situation. Yeah. Agree. And I think like sometimes I've said that to a couple of coaches and people recently, like I'd rather I'm kind of as a doctor, you're always going to be like busy. I'd rather get that education out there and have less people coming with the stress fractures or the avoidable consequences of reds because they learned about it at some point. I don't want to. I love seeing patients. I don't want to have a clinic full of patients that we could have changed things up or when I do. I think it's fun to get that education so that then they can go back to their running what they want to be doing. How, how, so. can they, how could they find out more information about reds? Um, there are some resources. There's um, a website called Health4 with a four performance um, that I can ping you the link to as well that I helped um, a lovely doctor called um, Nikki Kay to write for British Association of Sports and Exercise Medicine. I'm hopeful that some of the bits around the governing bodies will there'll be a little bit more out there soon. I'm trying to work on that a little bit. But um, I think also I'm happy to answer questions. I don't tend to put lots of medically stuff on social media, but um, 
I'm on Twitter if that link helps. And I do a clinic in London as well. There are sports exercise medicine clinics on the NHS available wow. and your GP, someone's GP can refer them. Sometimes we struggle a little bit to focus on the exercise medicine. A lot of them are musculoskeletal, but we, you can. So you can ask to see somebody on the NHS. Um, but also I do a clinic in London, which I can send you the link for if that yeah, helps. Send me a few links. It's an exciting yeah. time though, isn't it, in sport? All this information, it's, it's really exciting and what, what we can actually do with this, you know. It, yeah, it's, um, it's tremendous. I mean, I'm, I, work, as I work with boxing and obviously we've just had our, you know, female gold medalist again, like we did with um, Nikki Adams before that. And it's like, I think we've still got a way to go in terms of really what we can do on like the female side of sport, the older side of sport, both sexes. Um, yeah, it is exciting. It's new and fresh. <clears throat> Thanks yeah. very much, Rebecca. Um, I suppose... One last question. Where do you see yourself now in the next few years and um, come back oh, into Because you've done so much. Um, where would you like to move into? Um, in terms of running or in yeah. terms of work? Or Sorry, running. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, with running, like, I guess I've had a few years where uh, injuries kind of held things back. Um, so I think for me, just getting back there, I think mm. what's, what is the challenge is, if it was a decade ago, I'd probably be going, oh, well, do you know what? Like, how do I get back? And I think there are plenty of people around who say, wow. You've, you've done this bit now so I think there's always the runner in me that would like to get back and um, competitive it's um, going to be a bit of a challenge but I do quite like the challenge so. getting back to the rhythm I suppose that's the thing yeah absolutely yeah Rebecca thanks very much appreciate that thank you it was a pleasure it's great to be back on the podcast. I almost forgot how much of a gift it was meeting amazing people like Rebecca. I hope that this episode has been thought-provoking and helped to bring some awareness around Reds, which can affect any athlete, especially the ultra runners amongst us. Talking about thought-provoking, we have a very interesting guest on the show next week, elite mountain runner Vajin Armstrong, who has a tendency to look behind the curtain to find his flow state. An amazing episode which will be released next Friday. So until then, stay safe and keep on moving.